Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 119 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at an important topic that gets very little coverage, charger safety. Uh, This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that if you're new to the podcast, welcome. With numbers growing, it's possible that many people are coming in at, you know, episode 100 and above, and are missing out on some of the good stuff from earlier episodes, particularly people who are new to electric vehicles. If that's the case, can I recommend having a quick search for episodes with the word basics in the title? We have shows there covering the charging cables, the cost of charging, and how you actually use the chargers themselves. And it's probably a very good way to start if you're new to the whole world of electric vehicles. Our main topic of discussion today is charger safety. And I'm not talking about whether the electronics are connected up correctly or whether there's, a ch- whether there's a chance that you'll get fried if you try and charge in the rain. You won't. I'm talking about the feeling of physical security you need when charging your car at a charge unit. It's all well and good going on about how bad petrol is, but at the end of the day, 99.9% of petrol stations are fairly large, well-lit spaces on public roads. But whilst there are incidents and assaults that occur there, They're not widespread and the vast majority of drivers don't feel concern or anxiety at having to use a petrol station at night. But look at the vast majority of the current chargers, rapid and high powered, and quite a lot of the 7 kilowatt chargers. They're usually single or double units in car parks somewhere. They might be in a pub or a hotel car park, around the back of a restaurant, or in a park and ride somewhere. There was one near me, thankfully closed down now, which was literally down a half mile long narrow side lane in an unlit car park surrounded by woods. The majority of these units don't have well-lit areas, and if you're a lone individual late at night, it can be quite in- intimidating. Fully charged presenter Maddie Moat posted a tweet last year highlighting how unsafe she felt while charging at just such a location. And this isn't a one-off either. Today I'm talking with Kate Tyrrell. Kate has been driving an EV for about a year and a half now. It's a Hyundai Kona. And her day job is working with My Energy in Humberside, who are the makers of the Zappi home charger. However, she lives on the south coast, which means she spends a lot of tra- time travelling to and fro between the sites. She has therefore needed to charge in many locations, not all of which could be classified as, quote, single female friendly, unquote. In fact, it was while returning from a trip to Humberside when she found herself at 11pm at night in a dimly lit car park in Farnham with a charger that refused to work, a number of youths hanging around nearby, and a battery that was down to its last few percent state of charge because the previous charger she tried didn't work, that she then decided something needed to be done. Seeing the issues that have occurred with the state of chargers and charger safety, she started an initiative called Charge Safe, which will inspect every charger and location, give it a rating which covers safety and accessibility, and share this information with EV drivers and charge point operators. Whilst at COP26 in Glasgow last year, she pitched this idea to to a number of people, including Edmund King, the president of the UK's Automobile Association, the AA, and the reception was very, very good. Naturally, I wanted to chat with Kate, so I asked her to come on the show and talk about this initiative. I wanted to start by asking her some specific process questions about the data collection side of ChargeSafe. There's, there's obviously three aspects to this. There's the aspect of who's defining the standards against which the charges are going to be evaluated. There's then uh, who's going to be collecting uh, the data to be put into the database. And then there's how is the data going to be disseminated out to 
the charge point operators and the general public. So where are we getting the standards from? <laughs> <laughs> so the standards, um, the, the measurements, so the weighting of, of how we're going to produce these ratings actually originally came from Twitter, uh, which I appreciate sounds completely amateur. But when you look at the EV community on Twitter, there's nobody better to really ask. These are the early adopters. These are the people who are driving electric vehicles day in, day out, who use all of the charge point networks and we went out to them simply to say what would make you feel safer when charging so we kind of went backwards from their answers you know people saying oh i prefer better lighting i prefer an emergency call button i prefer to know that there are security cameras at the site and we started working that into a measurement and then i thought about my own personal experiences and what might make me feel safer at a charge point and we came together with a, a huge list of the uh, must-haves and the like-to-haves mm -hmm. and approached the EVA, so EVA for England, EVA for Scotland, I've spoken to the Irish EV Owners Association and other colleagues across the, the industry just to say, you know, what do you think about this? We're looking at three key areas. We're looking at the environment where the charge point is placed, the facilities around the charge point and the charge point itself. We're also going to factor in accessibility which will mainly be around the charge point itself. And from the back of that, we've come uh, come through some, some pretty big obstacles in terms of what is objective and what is subjective. You know, um, something like the, the local crime rate with uh, within the vicinity of the charger itself. We had originally thought it would be clever to factor in the crime rate within a mile radius of the postcode of where the charge point was located over the last 90 days. And we've we've since kind of dropped that and softened it to a, a public question, which will be, do you feel safe at the charger? Um, because actually we the charge point operators can't help what the crime rate is where they decide to put the installs, much like the oil and gas industry wouldn't have not put, built a petrol station somewhere because it had a high crime rating. So. It's things like that. As we as we go through this process, we will be refining the measures and we'll be asking for, for the EV community's feedback as we go. But we are also looking to get an, a, an accreditation in place, a, a certification of a charge safe rating so that it will be independently verified um, by a third party. They will um, look at the competency of the inspectors themselves, so the people who will be um, having a look at the charge points, and then also, you know, making sure that the assessments that they're doing are impartial um, and independently verified. I mean, I think that's excellent. Um, but what jumps to mind there is, and, and this comes back to what you were talking about in terms of objective versus subjective. You've been, I assume you've been to the Milton Keynes Coachway. Do you know what? I haven't. <gasps> I know. I know. It's really bad. The thing is, every time I drive through Milton Keynes, it's to get to Grimsby. So I don't have enough time to just stop and, and look around. I'm just pushing on through to get to, <laughs> to, get to the office. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really guilty now. No, it's, it's on fine. my to-do list, Gary. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. Well, the, the Milton Keynes coach, where, I mean, you, you, you've seen pictures, I assume. It's you know, it's uh, it has the the canopies over it. It's got eight units there. There's twelve if you include the Ionity ones that are nearby. So it's not a single unit. It's uh, it's well lit. Well, I say it's well lit. 
they are motion sensitive lights. So as, if you're outside the car and you're moving around, it's perfectly well lit. The whole place is like a Christmas tree. But if you don't mm. move for a while, it goes into total darkness. It's next to the um, the coach station. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of people in and out at various times of the day. So I'm looking at that and thinking instinctively that would probably rate reasonably well on whatever scale that you're going to put together. But having said that, it is out on the edge of a car park. Yeah. And if it is, you know, three o'clock in the morning, there's not going to be anybody there at the uh, station. It is a little bit remote. It's not very hospitable. There's, there's you know, nothing around there because yeah. it's basically at the end of a car park. So, you know, things like that. How is the objective versus subjective part of an evaluation going to come in on something like that so this is why it's so important that we have the human element being the inspectors physically visiting this site it's it's not a case of looking up a photo on google and saying oh yeah that looks safe um by physically visiting the site we will be able to put ourselves into a position where we're really thinking as a chargee um i mean i'm looking at photos of this right now so i'm i'm kind of guilty of that but you know the bay sizes for uh, disabled access doesn't look fantastic um off a of first glance there are bollards in front of the charge points the cable management looks like it could be quite difficult mm -hmm. for somebody who's in a wheelchair and certainly if your charging port is at the front of the car and and the cables are short how are you going to be able to park far enough away from the charger to fit a wheelchair in front of that to then pull the cable down and plug it into the front of the car? So those are things that we really need to, when we're there, put ourselves into that position and really consider the real world challenges that are presented. Mm -hmm. So that will go into the ratings. And the way that the, the ratings are weighted is based on this. So there is more importance placed on, on elements than there are on others, for example. Um, lighting is a, a much higher importance to have on a site than um, something like an air tire pump. So that so that being a nice to have, you know, if, if you if your tires need a little bit of air, um, great would be like a point fraction tinier percentage of the overall weighting of that score than lighting or how easy it is to access the the led screen how well lit is the led screen what's the ease of payment like um you know and even something that came up on twitter this week was about the refund of a pre-authorization charge oh yes Oh, I won't say who, Gary. Uh, but there <laughs> but is I a think network. we know who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> there is a network that are taking a pre-authorization fee of £30 mm -hmm. and they may not refund it for up to 30 days. Yeah. Now, I have personally fallen victim to this with a, a different charge point operator, whereby I've paid my pre-auth fee, I've connected the car, I've popped into the services and then I've come back and my car's decided it's not going to charge anymore. So because I've already used my last £15 to pre-authorise that charge, I don't have another £15 to pre-authorise the second charge mm -hmm. or even drive to another charger down the road to hopefully pre-authorise a charge with a with another network operator. Um, to the point where actually, bless him, Maz Shah, uh, love him. 
yeah. actually sent me a dinner to help me uh, on that one occasion because <laughs> he was freaking <laughs> out on Twitter about it. And he said, Kate, let me help you. Um, so he sent me a dinner just to get me out of the spot of bother, which was great. But if that's late at night and you have to pay a £30 pre-authorization fee yeah. and you've only got 50 quid in your account, you connect the charger, it takes the money, but then the charger fails to communicate with your car but you don't have another 30 quid. And what if you're too far away to get to the next charger? Then what happens? So again, that is is a subjective thing because it could put someone in danger, mm-hmm. but it's not immediately obvious. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I do. And that then moves me on nicely to the next part of my question, which is who are you going to get to do these evaluations? What's that process going to be like? Okay, so... We have ambitions. We have big ambitions to um, employ a nationwide team of inspectors, yeah. which is uh, is going to be quite a task. But, you know, we have floated the idea. We've put out uh, a, an announcement saying when we're ready to employ inspectors, visit this page and register your interest. And since doing that, we've had over 30 people come forward and say, yeah, I, I could do this job. Um, so it, it will be a case of employing full-time employed inspectors who will spend their days merrily driving around in a uh, a company electric vehicle, which will be supplied to them, to visit charge points using our, our measurement system, which will be completed on an online form, on an iPad, and sent back to us uh, at the head office mm-hmm. to, uh, to process the data. Yep. All they really need is uh, is a driving license. And to just be a good person, I think, to to show that they're upstanding, moral, ethical values and passionate about the planet and safety and, and just being able to really look at the charges in, in a very different way. So, you know, this whole unbiased thing really, really comes into play here. So these people are going to need to approach a charger almost blind to the branding of that charger. Mm-hmm. and to assess it purely on the inspection methods that, that we have requested. So there must be absolutely no um, benefit to the network itself. There can't be any favoritism. There can't be, you know, nobody's going to be bought over this. If they're a subscriber, then great. They'll get more of the information that they need. Um, if they're not a subscriber, fine, because this score serves the EV drivers, not the networks. Now, there's a couple of questions that sort of jump out to that immediately. Going back to the discussions that we've already have Mm. or or had, we've talked about the fact that if you go to a particular charger during the day, it's a completely different experience to going to that same charger at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, something like that. So presumably the whole uh, sort of remit of the inspectors would be to visit charges at different times of the day and or night to check what the lighting's like, for example? Indeed, yes. So there will be an AM and PM setting that they can tick when when they visit the charger so that we understand whether the the rating was made in the darkness or or during the daytime when it's nice and light. Um, And yeah, their hours can be totally flexible. So the inspectors will all be employed full-time but they will actually be working a four-day working week we're very Mm -hmm. passionate about that and we'd like them to be as productive on those four days as possible um but without 
you know, compromising their own health and safety and not speeding around to all of the charge points. Mm -hmm. So we'll have very realistic measures in place. But if they would rather do one evening of charge point inspections and three daytime inspections, then fine. You know, if they've got families and they need to be flexible around um, their, their family schedules, absolutely fine. As long as they get the four days done in a seven day week period, we don't mind. And and that's what we want to do. We want to have people who are just super positive and motivated to de- deliver a fantastic quality service. And if we're looking at one of the other things that you've already talked about, which is um, accessibility, hmm. do you feel that somebody who doesn't necessarily have a disability would be able to assess that appropriately or to the same level to which someone who does have a disability would be able to assess it? I mean, I I would like to hope that an able-bodied person, that is the right terminology, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would like to think that an able-bodied person would be able to really put themselves into a position where they are looking at it um, from an accessibility issue. So, you know, if they put themselves at a wheelchair height, can they reach the cable? Can they reach the screen? Can they access the payment options um but likewise you know i would i would love to have disabled people and able people working for the business because it's really going to give us that that depth of um of ensuring that the inspections are are as accurate as possible so there's nothing to to stop somebody you know who has an ev maybe from like motability or something coming on board as an inspector but they they will be receiving training. So so regardless of their ability, everybody will be given in-house training as to what to look out for on a charge point. We'll take them out on field trips to charges to show them what to look out for. Um, and, and there'll be full support from us at head office. Um, and if we need any wider support from the actual networks themselves, if they want to, you know, give us any training on on how their particular charge points work, then even better. You know, it's a, like I say, it's a collaborative issue. It's something that affects every electric vehicle driver. Um, so we're, we're more than prepared to, to work with everyone on this matter. This is going to sound like I'm playing the gender card, but it isn't at all. Mm-hmm. Is there a case that um, if we talk about the circumstances you found yourself in uh, late at night at uh, a dark remote charger, would a male in the same position have had a different a different view of the safety of that? And would that be reflected in sort of the ratings that are gathered? Or are we mm-hmm. trying to get this as gender neutral as possible? I would like to be aiming for as gender neutral as possible, but I do appreciate that there are differences um, and that that sometimes can't be avoided. So if it's a male visiting a charge point, I will be asking them to you know, assess it as if it was for their um, wife, daughter, mm-hmm. grandchild. Like, you know, you, we really need to be thinking about safety on a whole, yeah. regardless of whether you are a man or, or a woman. Um, if something doesn't feel safe, I think we all know in our gut that it doesn't feel safe. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be covering that off in training. You know, if even if you feel safe, great. If you do martial arts, great. If you're seven foot, brilliant. But what would you how would you feel if it was, you know, your wife, supposing that they have a wife um, attending this this charge point? Yeah. Yeah. I know the reason I didn't really want to play the, the, the gender card there is because in a recent conversation that I've had where we were discussing this, um, it was quite rightly pointed out that 
it's not something that just affects lone females. There there can be lone males in the same situation who would feel just as unsafe or as insecure. Um, yeah, 100%. And, and this is really important as well. You know, it's not just women who feel unsafe. Anyone can feel unsafe and everybody has you know, the absolute right to, to be scared if they want to be scared. It's not a case of, oh, you're a man, you should feel safe um, mm. in the dark because no, we're all human. And, um, and I do think that that gets talked about a lot is women charging cars or, you know, women being on their own at night. Yes, it's awful. And, um, and we know from the statistics that women are attacked more than men. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't stop the validation of a man feeling afraid at a charge point. Absolutely. And the third sort of factor that we were talking about earlier on is you've got all this data together talk to me about sort of sending that out you've already mentioned that um you're going to try and get this on to the presumably the plug shares and the zap maps and the whatsapp and you know those kind of apps so that they've got the rating which networks which of those apps are you in discussion with at the moment are you able to (laughs) okay so i've definitely signed an nda with one of them okay uh who are very very keen to work with us but yeah of of the ones that you've just mentioned i would say at least three of them i've been in talks with Mm -hmm. i think you mentioned three anyway uh and and we're looking to to widen that so you know i I personally when i do long distance journeys i have been known to use ways an awful lot Mm -hmm. uh i find this particularly important since driving an electric vehicle because it warns you of speed traps which is very useful when you're using that talk (laughs) and (laughs) and you forget you do forget um so you know cruise control gets used a lot when i'm driving on the motorways just to regulate my speed and make sure that i'm not being a little bit um heavy on the old accelerator uh but i i would love to get ways on board um for that information i don't feel like they do enough in terms of the EV uh, charging network anyway. And then we have got those favorites, you know, ZapMap uh, mm-hmm. is an incredible mapping system. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel and the team have done such a great job of, of mapping out the UK. What's up? I, I love the way that Mike has, has kind of brought that uh, that product out. I think it was for his mum. Initially, he wanted to just really simplify being able to find a charger. And again, that app deserves um, huge kudos for, for what it's achieved. There are just so many incredible applications out there. Um, Electric Juice are, are another one. Um, Google Maps would be great to, to get on board. And then it's the actual uh, sat-nav systems within the vehicles themselves that I'm really keen to, to get the charge safe rating onto. Failing all else, if nobody's sure where to look for the charge safe rating, it will be available on our website. Um, but our website isn't really a, a fantastic navigational tool for charge points. It, that side of things will be um, only for the inspectors to sort of map out what their day is going to look like in terms of which charges they'll be visiting and, and right. scheduling their workload. So it's it's going to be on our website, but by no means it won't be a way to plot a journey. It will just be this charge point has this score. What's the business model for this venture? Presumably it will need money to operate, especially if you're going to be paying inspectors and getting them electric vehicles. Where's the money coming from? That's a very good question, Gary. And to be (laughs) honest, (laughs) I don't know just yet. So we have been pitching to angel investors left, right and centre. We 
are looking for investment um, to to get things off the ground. But failing that, we have uh, just pitched for a trial, which um, is quite exciting and would certainly allow us to start the ball rolling um, to be able to produce a test set of data to show how the system's going to work and to hopefully start getting those network subscriptions in on an ongoing basis after that initial investment, which will help us set up all the things that we need to get, such as the technology, um, get some inspectors on board, kit them out with a car, um, with the iPads, mobile phones, etc. they're going to need to use, as well as paying for services. So much that goes into it. Um, we will be charging the networks which is a hilarious uh, role reversal <laughs> to pay for the uh the data so basically it it comes in really from two main streams the way we look at it you've got monetization avenue from the data requests from the third party applications using mm -hmm. an api key uh which is like something ridiculous like 0 0.001 pounds per uh Per request okay. I could be completely wrong with that with that but it's definitely less than what Google um, charge when you when you make a, a, a data request with them on a business case mm -hmm. so there will be the data requests uh, provides one revenue stream which at now at, at this moment in time now would be quite modest but in 10 years time when those charge points are almost at you know half a million and the amount of EV drivers on the roads uh, Goodness knows what those projections are going to be like. But I mean, at the moment, 40% of total market share for plug-in vehicles in January 22, not too shabby. No. It's just going to continue to grow. So the more requests will actually be made for the data from the people who are driving the electric vehicles. Um, and, and therefore, that revenue grows and grows and grows. And then the subscriptions work in a way that every network will be scored. Every charge point is going to receive a score. Now, that could either be visible via the public website, which says this charge point has a score of 4.7. If the network then wants to understand why they've received that score, we can provide them with the inspector data and also a real time dashboard of the user ratings that are coming through, which will highlight the key concerns, any trends and any uh, any improvements that could that could help increase that score. So over time. The networks will be able to improve their entire network and they'll have visibility on what's wrong with the network and they'll need to pay for that data because that's going to be the thing that enables us to to continue with the service and roll out of of charge safe um, eventually we'll have a third revenue stream which will be uh, via the accreditation so if uh, a particular network uh, product or service would like to say that they are charge safe accredited then they can come on board we'll make sure that they um, meet up to to those standards and and then they'll have like a an annual rolling accreditation so that they can pop it on the side of the charger to say this is a charge safe uh, accredited certified charger um, and meets a certain standard over you know the golden standard essentially so it could be like more than 4.5 stars but they have to keep up that standard across mm -hmm. the the year in order to be able to reapply for that certification year on year. Yeah. And and then there's other things you know that we'd really love to do, Gary. So I was uh, having a chat with the AA about it, and I, I think it it would be a really lovely idea, especially for people who are sat on their own in the dark of night, feeling a bit unsafe. You know, if you sat at a charger and it's dark 
and you're able to charge and you feel unsafe but you don't really want to wake up anyone at two o'clock in the morning to tell them that you feel unsafe and to make them feel concerned that you might be unsafe you should be able to call a customer service line who would then sit there on the phone to you for 20 minutes as a charge point companion you could talk about anything and everything um <laughs> talk about the weather you talk about uh the latest Bond film, you know, whatever. But at that point in time, no crime has occurred. So you can't really call the police and you can't call the non-emergency police to say, I don't feel safe because they're not really going to feel compelled to do anything about that. Mm -hmm. But a charge point companion means that they'll know exactly where they, where you are. So if anything happens, they can raise an alarm. Um, And for me, it's, it's a good alternative to having that emergency alarm on the charge point because so you don't have to leave the car in order to raise that alarm but if you feel really really unsafe wouldn't it be great to have a roadside assistance van to pull up and uh and just sit and charge with you just to be present whilst you charge you know from a a safe and trusted and reliable company that we all know and love um i just think charge point companions would be would be a lovely service to provide yeah i like that i think that's an excellent uh an excellent thought there are Two questions that jump immediately to mind when you talk about getting the charge point operators involved in this and accreditation and things like that. Yeah. Now, as I think you've already said, Ian Johnson, you've, you've chatted with him. He's been on the podcast before. I know him quite well. So when I first heard about this, I thought this is something that Ian will go for. And I believe <laughs> that's, that's right. Have you spoke? I mean, you don't need to name any names, but how many other charge point operators have you had discussions with about this? So Ian has been amazing and incredible support behind it. I've spoken to a couple of others. One, which I can't name, um, did raise some concerns that it might not work necessarily because uh, safety checks were carried out anyway in the industry. And for me, it was very much a case of, isn't that like marking your own homework? And actually, if we set these standards for every charge point operator in the UK, then everybody has to measure up to that standard. So you can't necessarily say, yeah, we're fantastic and we're the safest because by what measure? And how do we not know that your measure is better than CPO number two, for example? So I think it was it was good to get that feedback. And I've had so much positivity coming in that I, I really wanted some criticism at that point. You know, I wanted someone to pick holes in the idea and say, oh, I don't think this is going to work for that reason. But it actually really armed me and, and reinforced me to in, in, in the belief that this is going to be a, a really beneficial thing because we're a completely independent Um, business from the charge point networks and from the mapping services and we are representing the drivers and the chargees themselves and saying this is what's going to make everybody feel safe this is what we need you to do we need you to help us um, you know create the standard I've also spoken with another charge point network who has said yeah we love what you do Um, this sounds like a great idea we're not sure that everybody's going to be too keen about installing new lighting and stuff at at their charge points and it was just a case of yes but if they don't a competitor will move in next to them and they will so it's now a case of if you have legacy chargers if you privately own a charger it's on your property and it's not well lit and it doesn't meet up with the charge safe standards Mm -hmm. please make those improvements because not only are you protecting the 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 safety of the people using your 
your product on your land. Um, but you're also going to be making an investment for the future so that more people will then be drawn to your charge point and will want to use it and will fa feel safe to do so. And it might just put off the competitors from moving in next door. I totally 100% agree with everything you've said there. But uh, one of the roles that I like to take when I interview people is that of devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I would say is, uh, and again, without naming any names, we know that there are certain networks, um, and I'm talking in the plural here, not just the singular, mm -hmm. who know that they are lacking in certain areas. For example, charger reliability, contactless payments, that sort of stuff. And they know that they have to upgrade. They know they have to improve. Yes. And they blatantly don't. Yes. And I am so going to enjoy this in a really sick and twisted way because I have fallen so foul of these charges um, of plural networks, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, for the charge point operators who fail to keep up with the operations and maintenance needs of their chargers or fail to respond to the user feedback in terms of the ease of payment, they are the ones who will receive the lower charge safe ratings. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they may find that their usual user base will pop off to another charge point operator who will probably build just up the road from them anyway, because, you know, if we've got less than 10% of the projected growth of EV uh, charge point installations in the UK now, <laughs> there's, there, there are going to be neighbours popping up um, in the next decade. So if you don't look after your network and you don't listen to your customers, they will go elsewhere. And we're going to give them the score that will help make that decision a little bit easier. So do what's right for your customer. Don't worry about what other commitments you've got. Um, focus on, on your O&M. It's really important. If a charger's faulty and you drive to a, a faulty charger at two o'clock in the morning and you've got 10 miles range left, what about the safety of that person? Mm. It's ridiculous. There are so many chargers out there that I'm aware, having seen on Twitter, have been installed and not switched on. Oh, yeah. Where's the sensibility in that? Just go switch it on. I'm sure you can afford an engineer <laughs> to go out and, and go, yeah, okay, that's all safe. Let's Let's switch it on. I could be completely wrong. I'm definitely not qualified to say how easy it is for an engineer to go and switch on a machine. But I'm pretty sure that some of these some of these networks are quite big, Gary. I think they've got a lot of money. I heard, um, yeah. They could probably do something with it, couldn't they? Like invest in the future, invest well, in the green revolution. But I mean, I'm biased towards electric vehicles. What do I know? But, you know. Are you looking, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you looking at some sort of enforcement protocol for operators who score low but don't improve? I mean, you've said that, in a way, there's going to be a market correction, which is if you don't improve your charges, nobody's going to use them. Somebody else is going to come up next door and you're going to start losing money. But have you thought about maybe formalising that enforcement and saying yes. there will be a financial penalty if you, if you, as an average, don't get above 2.5 or whatever across your network? I'm not sure... If I could, so for example, if a charge point operator is especially naughty and doesn't look after their their network, but also mm -hmm. isn't a subscriber, I mean, I can't just send them a bill and say, well, you've been naughty, so you need to pay this money. Um, that's not possible. But what I can do 
is take it to government and lobby for a for a mandate and then and then everybody will just have to play ball so i know it sounds really kind of strict and and sassy of me to do that but moving forward you know in in 20 30 years so many more vehicles on the road are going to be electric these charge points are going to become fundamental to people's livelihoods in being able to get to and from work or to do the food shop or you know if they need to go to hospital they're going to need these cars so you need to look after your networks and you need to make sure that they're safe and you people aren't going to be electrocuted if they try to use them which I know is highly unlikely anyway because of all the stringent safety measures in place but I think at at this moment in time we are so so lucky that there has not been a headline that has said that somebody's been attacked at a a charge point and it's my ambition that 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 never happens I never want to see that headline so it really is the case of putting the stake in the ground now and saying guys we've got to make this better and the good thing is we're early enough into the journey to really positively impact, you know, how the how the landscape of electric vehicle charging looks and, and to to set those measures for the future. And if you look at, you know, what we've got now in terms of fossil fuels, I mean, we we badmouth fossil fuels left, right and centre and quite rightly. But you go to a service, a petrol station mm-hmm. and it's well lit mm-hmm. and it's covered and it's usually manned and... It's open 24 hours a day, more often than not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole experience, if you take away the fact that, you know, you're piping combustible combustible, combustible fluid that stinks and pollutes, mm-hmm. if you take that away, the actual experience of being at a service station in the vast majority of situations is far superior to wandering around the back of a, a pub or a hotel into a dark car park and finding a single charger and having to work that out so i mean I think absolutely it's... why why do they get this divine experience where they can rock up and it's all well lit and i'm not even joking gary how many times have you been to a petrol station and gone to look for a charger and it's literally around the back in a dark corner again or in the bushes or fenced off so you've got to hide behind a fence like you're you're the naughty cousin that nobody should know about. You know, we, we yes. just get treated like these second class citizens on petrol forecourts and it drives me mad. And I, I think I was saying, um, you know, the other day, why do we deserve to be in the bush? I want to come out from the bush. I, I want to be well lit. I want to be seen. EV drivers don't belong in bushes and dark corners. They deserve better. Indeed, our time will come. On on the subject of time, what is the timeline for this? Okay, so currently we are looking at doing a soft launch where we start to collect the data in April. We will be publishing the first set of safety scores, hopefully uh, around mid-May, um, with dashboards being made available to any subscribing networks. We will also be announcing who the subscribing networks are so everybody can see just how safety conscious they are and on board and, and you know, really complying and wanting to, to strive for that positive change. Mm-hmm. We will then be doing a, a much harder launch um, towards the end of summer 22. And hopefully um, by then we will have at least two inspectors on board with plans to employ a, a further eight before autumn And then depending on the amount of networks we get on board, you know, that really is going to signal how many inspectors we can hire. But the ambition is that we have 100 by the end of 2023. I hope you beat that timeline. It's very ambitious, but um, 
I think it's an excellent initiative and something that uh, that I hope is a huge success. Thanks very much, Gary. I really appreciate the support. Many thanks to Kate for her time. If you want to become part of the inspection team, follow the link in show notes and register your interest. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Researchers in Russia have found a way to leverage a large chunk of the medical waste that's been produced as a result of the pandemic, specifically the single-use face masks. The scientists repurposed used face masks into highly efficient textile supercapacitors and used waste drug blister packs as a shell, thus forming the basis for creating batteries. Apparently, the high volume and ease of gathering the disposable face masks meant they were able to do this easier and cheaper than with other waste materials, which generally needed more energy-intensive methods to process. The team said the mask-derived batteries were superior in several ways to heavier metal-coated conventional batteries, which had greater manufacturing costs and didn't have the added benefit of diverting polymer waste from landfill. They said the resulting batteries had a high density of stored energy and electrical capacity of up to 98 watt-hours per kilogram, which puts them in the ballpark of the current average lithium-ion batteries. I love this and I hope that they're able to take this from the lab and uh, commercialise it on a large scale. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, that's ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So, You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words unlit end of an empty car park. Hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, I caught him listening to Pavarotti singing Nessendorma recently. He admitted he's a huge fan of opera and he wants to put a quartet of singers together himself. He's got the bass, alto and soprano. He's just missing one singer, but he has an inside contact at the National Opera. Maz Shah, uh, love him, yep. actually sent me a dinner to help me uh, on that one occasion. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>